Alrighty, well, once again, good evening. Cedar Street Baptist Church. It's good to be back in the Lord's house as we get ready to walk through Unit 1.5 in our Biblical Basis Study Series of Understanding the Bible. In fact, this is our second to last unit in this first section. We're getting ready in a little while. Next week will be our final week in Section 1 of What is the Bible? And we're going to be launching into how did we get the Bible. And I would venture to say that's probably the one section where you may receive a lot of new information that you haven't heard before. Because I've been digging through some of the best textbooks that I could possibly find to describe how it is that this book came from the mind and then the mouth of God to the prophet's hand to parchment to paper to transmission to translation to finally get an English Bible in our hands. So I'm excited to kind of walk through that in a few weeks. But uh, we still have some, some work to do here in section one, which is what is the Bible? And we are in unit 1.5, which is entitled tonight, Our Necessary and Sufficient Guide. Our Necessary and Sufficient Guide. So what I typically like to do for the first 60 seconds or so is give us a really quick recap for those that are coming in late, or maybe you haven't been here in a couple weeks, to show where we were so we can get where we are and where we're going. So in unit 1.1, we did a basic... Uh, basic overview of the scriptures it was beginning with the basics and we talked about the new testament and the old testament we talked about the units of scripture all right starting with the genres of the books and then the books themselves within the old testament and the new testament and then we talked about breaking down each book by chapter and then by verses and then by words being the smallest unit we talked about all the examples of what the Bible is, that it's a lamp unto our feet, that it's it's a it's a seed, that it's spiritual milk. Uh, it's all these things that God provides for us, and, and we w- walked a little bit through the, uh, the authorship of Scripture, that it's divinely inspired of God. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, but it's also written by human authors, and it's written by more than 40 different authors on three different continents over the course of 1,500 plus years with one unified theme. And so the thing, when we look at Scripture, we see that its diversity and its unity are married together in, in just wonder and awe. It's a miracle to hold this book in your hand and to say it was written over the course of two millennia almost by men who never met each other, many of them, from all different walks of life on three different continents and three different original languages. And we have one unified theme of God's beautiful revelation of himself to us and then his plan of salvation to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so week one was beginning with the basics. Week two was proclaiming its purpose. We said that God does two things, that God reveals to us who he is, his personhood, but he also reveals uh, propositional truth about the world. So personal truth about him, propositional truth about the world. And then in week three, we said the Bible's a window to the world. Since we know that we can trust its propositional truth about what we see in the universe, we can say that this is our window to the world because it's the great picture of reality. When you know the Bible, you know what reality truly is all about. When you don't know the Word, you cannot fully say what is true or not true. And we talked about those major questions of life, the college questions. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What is my destiny? All of these things. If we don't have the Word of God, we cannot fully ask or answer those questions. We don't know who we are as people made in the image of God. We don't know why we're here to glorify God. We don't know what's wrong, that there's sin. We don't know the solution to the problem, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know the answer of being judged because the Bible does say it is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. We will be judged by the life that we've lived. And the truth of that is contained here in the Word. And so that was Unit 1.3. And then last week, Unit 1.4, we talked about hearing God loud and clear. 
All right, hearing God loud and clear, we said that God's word is fully authoritative and tells us not only what is true, but how we should live our lives. And it's clear, meaning that the clarity of Scripture says that it's clear enough that even a child in some areas of Scripture can read it or have it read to them and understand it enough to be obedient to what God has called us to do. I'll say at the end of our section here tonight, there's a beautiful quote about the Bible as an ocean. And it'll make the connection between the clarity of Scripture that we talked about last week and what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is the necessity and the sufficiency of Scripture. So, if you have your listening guides, we're going to start with one. Number one, being fed by more than bread. Being fed by more than bread. So, in our first sentence here, we see kind of a recap of what I've been talking about. So far, in our first, first four units of this section, we've talked about the structure, purpose, foundation, authority, and clarity of the Bible. All these are precious truths that uniquely describe God's Word, but we can't overlook this characteristic that is often overlooked but never should be, and your first blank is the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. This is because we need the words of God to nourish our soul as desperately as we need the food of God to nourish our bodies. And how do we know this? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Love this passage. If you don't know the context of this, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's getting ready for his three-year earthly ministry. And he goes and he's fasting. And, and Satan meets him right where he is. And Satan says, if you're the son of God, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? And what does Jesus do? He responds with Scripture. He recites the words of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus reminds us is several things in this passage. He reminds us that when we're in the middle of temptation, that we should respond to that temptation. We should respond to the acts of Satan with Scripture. But also, in saying that, he's saying that in Scripture, we have what is necessary to fulfill the will of God. Much like bread is all we need to nourish our bodies, the bread of life, the Word of God has been given to us to nourish our very souls. So we are being fed by more than bread. We are being fed the Word of God, and it is necessary for our daily diet as believers in Jesus Christ. We need the Word of God. So why do we need it? Why is it necessary? Well, I want to walk progressively through this and make connections of showing why it's necessary that we have a Bible and that we read a Bible if we are to be true believers in Jesus Christ and we are to grow in our understanding and grow in our faith. So let me start with number two, the source of our salvation. The source of our salvation. To begin developing this concept of the necessity of Scripture, we've got to start with the Bible's necessity of our and that blank is salvation, our salvation as born-again Christians. All right, our salvation as born-again Christians. Now, I, I, don't, I, don't, I hope I'm not beating a dead horse. I think sometimes the most important things are things that we should repeat over and over, week after week, because it becomes second nature to us. This is the reason why we, we take the Lord's Supper over and over. We constantly remind ourselves. We commemorate what the Lord has done, and we look forward to His second coming. Well, one of the concepts that I have repeated, probably more so than anything else since I've been the pastor here, is the concept of how God reveals Himself in two ways. You have general revelation, which is nature, shows that God is powerful, that He's creator, that He exists. But then there's special revelation, 
All right, that's the Word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, but then the Word of God written, which is the Bible. And we need special revelation because even though in nature we are without excuse when we die if we've never heard the name of Jesus, because in nature we have enough knowledge to know that a God exists and that we should worship Him, Nature does not give us enough information specifically of who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so we cannot come to full knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ by simply walking around in nature. We need to hear the gospel. We need to read the gospel in his word. And so without the word, we're not saved. We don't have salvation. And here's some great illustrations of this. There's a wonderful confession of faith. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It was drafted in 1646. I'm sad to see that Linda Newham is not here tonight because she loves the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's many denominations that continue to use this confession. It's very popular in the Presbyterian faith. Uh, As Southern Baptists, there's some areas about infant baptism that we wouldn't necessarily agree with because we believe in believer's baptism, obviously. But there is some golden nuggets in this old document. And I blew the dust off it the other day. And here's what it says when it comes to Holy Scripture. It says, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will which is, which is necessary unto salvation. So what's that saying? It's saying nature's good enough to tell you that God exists. It's good enough to show you His goodness, His wisdom, and His power. But when you walk outside and see the sun and the moon and the stars, you can't fully know God's will and you can't fully know God's Son. Therefore, you cannot receive salvation apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been made manifest to us and has been revealed to us in this book. In fact, I love the words of the Apostle Peter. In your next blank here is John chapter 6, verse 68. John 6, 6, 8 is your next blank here under point 2. And here's what the Apostle Peter says in John 6, 6, 8, when, when Jesus is preaching and teaching to the disciples, some of them stop following him because he talks about the need of surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and how the things of the flesh are flesh, but the things of the Spirit are spirit. And many of the disciples couldn't understand what he was saying and they couldn't, they couldn't bear to believe what he was saying, so they began to abandon Christ. And Jesus looks at the, at the 12, the inner circle, you know, he begins to look at these disciples and he says, Do you guys want to leave me too? And what does Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is that not what we have in the Scriptures? We have the words of eternal life. If the Bible is not necessary, then what is? If the Bible is not the necessary means by which we can know God and be saved by God, where else are we going to turn? Where else are we going to go? Just like Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we see number two that that this is our necessary and sufficient guide because it's the source of our salvation. But moving down a little further, number three, let's look at a relationship that requires revelation. A relationship that requires revelation. All right, so let's connect our dots. Now we know the Bible's necessary to understand who God is and how God has offered us what He's offered us through the saving work of Jesus Christ. 
But we must also embrace the truth that God revealed himself to us and then offered us a way of salvation through his son because he desires to have an eternal relationship with us. We said that last week, one of the ways that God clearly communicates with us is through words. God could have tried another way to communicate, but he created us as verbal beings. We read and write and speak and listen to words. So God communicates to us through words so that we can best understand him. Well, when it comes to this relationship, we need his word to have a relationship through his son. Without any word, there is no relationship. Again, nature can tell us that he exists, but we can't really know who he is. I mean, if you go, you know, you go to any historic site and you can see a landmark, you can see a historical landmark and you can know somebody was there. But until you at least read something that they've written or you've had a conversation with that person, you don't really know who they are. You really don't. All right, we can know that God exists. We can, we can I mean, and we should, by the way, we should spend time in nature. I believe that, that, that taking trips out into the middle of nowhere and embracing the creation that God has placed before us, hearing the birds chirp, watching the sunrise. For me, I enjoy a sunset probably more than a sunrise, especially on the water. I love a sunset on the water. When I see the beauty of God's creation, it deepens my love for Him. It deepens my reverence for Him. But I can do more in one sitting in Metter, Georgia with an open Bible than I can do in a cross-country road trip out west. The Bible can do more for me because I can know the heartbeat of God. I can hear His words. I can know His will. I can know God in a way that I can apart from this book. That relationship is what God is out for. All right? Here's what uh, John Frame, great historian and author. He's also a professor at a college in Florida. Here's what he says. He says, quote, People often claim to have a personal relationship to Christ while being uncertain about the role of Scripture in their relationship. But the relationship that Christ has established with His people is a covenant relationship and therefore a verbal relationship, among other things. Jesus' words today are found only in Scripture. So if we're going to have a covenant relationship with Jesus, we must acknowledge Scripture as His Word. Now, he makes it blunt right here. No Scripture, no Lord. No Scripture, no Christ. If you deny Scripture, you deny a relationship that God desires to have with you through Jesus Christ. And here's where the rubber meets the road for a lot of people. I hear people all the time talking about this amazing personal relationship that they have with God. But their basis of that relationship is something that is conjured up in their mind and not in this book. Now, I will be honest with you. I am, that is not to say that the Holy Spirit does not speak to us in our inner being apart from Scripture, but He never contradicts it, ever. All right. So there is times where you'll hear God speak through circumstances in your life. You'll hear God speak through other people. You'll hear God speak through the Holy Spirit as He speaks right to your heart and to your conscience. There's times you say, man, I really felt like the Lord was telling me to share this with you today. So I'm not saying that this is the only way in which God speaks. What I am saying is that this is the foundational way in which God speaks. This is the most 
frequent way in which God speaks. And if, God, if you think that God is speaking to you another way and it's contradicting what is talked about in here, then I'm telling you that's not God speaking to you. All right, how many times have we heard say, well, I, I felt like God told me to say this. And it's something completely contrary to the Word of God. All right, I'm going to tell you, I've only been in pastoral ministry since August. I've heard a couple of things in my short time that have really made me scratch my head a little bit. But in preparation for ministry at seminary and talking to other pastors, you would be shocked at some of the stories that these pastors have shared with me about the radical things that people say to them that contradict the Scriptures. I remember one pastor telling me that, uh, he, that a man waltzed into his office and said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, Pastor, and I know that I'm married, but I believe God has told me that I need to have a relationship with this woman over here. God said it to me. He's given this woman over here to me, and I know it's from God because He told me. Well, I would say the Word of God clearly illustrates one woman for one man. And in the bond of marriage, if you go outside that bond and you feel like someone's telling you to do that, guess what? You may be hearing a voice, but it ain't God's. And so how do we decipher? And let's be honest. Can we be honest with ourselves? When you pray and in silence you hear a voice, do you question, is that really God or is that just me? I know I do all the time. And how, and, and how is it that I know if it's truly God or if it's truly me? Well, Scripture. In fact, I'll make this argument, and we'll talk about this more in a few weeks when we talk about ways in which we can read the Scriptures. One of the things that we ought to do more, and I'm convicted of this, and I, I was taught this in seminary, and I begin to practice this more in my life, we need to learn to pray the Scriptures. All right, have you ever prayed the Scriptures before in your own personal devotional time? Let me show you how this works. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 23. All right, Psalm 23. Most of you could quote it from memory, probably don't even need to turn to it. In this community, you ought to know it because there's a beautiful display of Psalm 23 at the Guido Gardens. And I'm reminded of the Guido Gardens every time I turn to it. All right, so go ahead and turn in your Bible, Psalm 23. Let me show you how this works. Okay, this is how the Word of God can enable us to come into a deeper relationship with God. All right? So in your devotional time, in your quiet time, wherever you go, whatever you do when you read the Scriptures, here's ways that we can pray these words back to God. All right? You just start with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can stop right there. Lord, thank You that You are my shepherd. Thank You that You guide me in all areas of life. Then you get to the words, I shall not want. You're my great shepherd, Father, and you say that I shall not want, but I come to you today confessing that there are, th- there are things in my life that I do want. I am in need, Father. My mortgage needs to get paid. My kids need to get fed. And I trust you that you will provide because you are the good shepherd, and I shall not want. So I just confess these wants to you right now. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Heavenly Father, my soul is in trouble today. Guide me beside still waters. Restore my soul today, Father. The fight that I had with a loved one has really just brought just discord and chaos to my world, but you're my shepherd. Restore my soul. Help me to be reunited to you. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
God, lead me in righteousness today. I'm so tempted today. I'm so tempted to sin against you. I'm so tempted not to do what you've told me to do. And, and I'm just tempted to, to wander from your path, God. So right now in this very hour, I pray that you would lead me in paths of righteousness. See what I mean? I didn't even get through verse 3. And already I could have been 15 minutes of prayer. And that's the relationship that we have with God through His Word. Now, there are some passages that are easier to pray than others. Sometimes narratives, stories like Jonah are a little bit more difficult. Right? The Psalms are tailor-made for prayer. They're, it's a book of prayer. And so I would, I would encourage you, try it if you've never done it before. Read the Psalms. All right? And as you come to a Psalm where God really pricks your heart about something, stop, read what, what God put on your heart, and then pray it back to Him deepening your relationship with Him, asking Him to bless you according to His Word. This is where we take that surface-level relationship that some of us have with God, and we go a little bit deeper that God desires us to go. I'll be honest with you, I really wish my relationship with God was a lot deeper than it is. And if I'm, if I'm going to blame anybody, I blame myself. Because the distractions of the day are very easy to keep me away from reading God's Word. I mean, it can happen all the time. I can sit here and say to you, well, I I write sermons and lessons all week and I'm in God's Word hours every day. But it's not the same thing as having quiet devotional time with the Lord. Now, having corporate worship time where we read the Word together is very special. And I would say to people who love devotional time alone but don't like coming to church, which I know that's none of you in here because you're here on Sunday nights, I would say to them, it's equally as important to come into the corporate worship of God because you know what? There's also something special about when the Word of God is prayed and proclaimed in the house of God. Amen? There's something special about being in this house among all of all brothers and sisters in a covenant relationship that you can't manufacture by yourself in the corner. But at the same time, as God has saved a people unto Himself, He's also saved us as individuals to have relationship with Him as well. So we, shouldn't, we should have both. Now, it's not either or, it's a both and. The reading of the Word and the relationship corporately as a church through public worship, but also that private worship where the Word of God enables us to have this wonderful relationship with Him. Again, uh, your, your, your blank here in, in point three at the very bottom is uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31 I actually preached on this here on Sunday night a few weeks ago. And here's basically what uh, Jesus says to his followers. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. All right, so how do we, how, what do we do? We abide. We rest in it. We're committed to it. We go to God's word and read it and proclaim it and pray it back to him. Engaging in this relationship that God desires for us to have with one another. So... We're crossing the halfway point here. We're cooking now, all right? We're making all the connections. We're at point number four. Now we're at Revelation is also linked to redemption. And when I studied this, I'm going to be honest, this was one of these light bulb moments for me, and I pray that it is for you as well. So I want you to think about this, okay? All right, it says, Having made an argument for the necessity of the Bible, we now turn our attention to another characteristic of God's Word that is closely related. And your next blank is the sufficiency of Scripture. All right, so think about this. If God's Word is what we need to know to know God, to be saved by God, 
and to have an abiding relationship with God, then we must recognize that, that in the Holy Scriptures, our God has given us enough information. We have all that we need to know for every gift and promise that God has offered to us. All right? But here's where the light bulb went off for me. All right? We need to recognize there's a link. All right? There's a link between the sufficiency of what Christ has done as the Word of God made flesh and the sufficiency of what God has written as the Word of God written, which is the Bible. So if we deny that the Bible is all that we need, we're also denying that what Christ has done for us is all that we need. Here's what I mean. Look at the passage here. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-2. through two. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He spoke to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So, all right, let me put this picture together. In the Old Testament, it says God spoke through the prophets. We see that, okay? God spoke through Moses. God spoke through the minor prophets. He spoke through Jeremiah and the major prophets. He spoke through these men. He inspired them to write down His very words. But all of that was building, building, building for the culmination of His revelation, which was Jesus Christ. And God gave us all that we need to know about Jesus in the Bible, and He did all that was required through the perfect life, sacrificial death, supernatural resurrection, and heavenly ascension of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, what were the very last words He said before He commended His Spirit to God? He said, It is finished so if jesus did all that was necessary for us to be saved and have a relationship with god and if the bible tells us everything that christ did that was sufficient then if we say the bible is not enough we're in essence saying that christ is not enough all right and 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 those two things are 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 linked that's not to say that we should never read anything outside of the bible to deepen our knowledge you walk in my office and you will see hundreds of books, all right? Because I want to have a deeper knowledge in certain areas, all right? I want to, to know all that I can know about historical theology and philosophical theology and systematic theology, all these things I love to study that helps me better understand the Bible. And what I do is I read great books from other human authors who've studied it and I learn from them. They teach me as I am trying to teach you, all right? But... I don't need them necessarily, and you don't need me necessarily to know what it is that God intends for you to know to be saved and to have a relationship. Everything you need is in this one book. All right, And so when we go outside of this book for something that we say that we need for salvation or something that we say that we need for a relationship with God, we are saying, God, for me to live for you, what you've given me here is not enough information. I need more. And you know what? There's plenty of religion out there that wants to add to this book. All right? Our Mormon friends are key examples. They don't throw out the Bible, they try to add to it. Right? They got the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price. They're saying what's in this book is not enough. God has given us new and fresh revelation. And we, and that's the, if you ever argue with a Mormon, what they're going to tell you is this. <coughs> I simply believe that God continues to speak. And that's the reason why we have the Book of Mormon. And that's the reason why we have all... God has continued to speak to us. And that's the reason why we need these extra books. Well, 
in essence, what they're saying, whether they agree to, to, to admit this or not, what they're saying is God needed to do something on top of what Christ has already done because what he did on the cross was not enough. And I'm not going there. I'm not going there. In the book of Revelation, at the very end of the book, what does God say to John about the revelation that has been given to him? Do not add to this book or take away from this book. Now, those words, although they specifically relate to that revelation in the book of Revelation, there should be no surprise that God put Revelation as the final book in the Bible and that is the final chapter in the final book. Because in the grand scheme, God is also saying the same thing. Do not add to this book and do not take away from this book. It has everything that you need for faith and practice in a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't, we're not to add to it. We're not to take away from it. It's all that we need. It is necessary, but again, it's also sufficient. All right, Kevin DeYoung, at the very end of point four here, one of my favorite authors, he's a pastor of a church in uh, Michigan. I listen to him on a podcast just about every week. And uh, here's what he says. He says, Scripture is enough because the work of Christ is enough. They stand or fall together. The Son's redemption and the Son's revelation must both be sufficient. I love that. They're, they're connected. They have to be connected. We have all that we need in this book. All right, so that moves us to point five. Making good time here. And point five, a God who speaks sufficiently. A God who speaks sufficiently. Here's the problem with people who say that God's book is not sufficient for the knowledge that we need to obey God. Think back, and okay, your next blank here is Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. All right, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. All right, think back to the fall of man in Genesis 3. How did all of this start? The first sin that ever entered the garden. How did it happen? It happened because the sufficiency of God's word was questioned by the devil, and the devil tempted Eve and eventually Adam to question the same thing. All right, think about it right here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Satan attacks God's word by saying to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? All right, what does he do? By doing this, he challenges the trustworthiness of what God said, but also the sufficiency of what God said. What, what Satan is tempting Eve to believe is this. He's saying, Eve, the information that God gave you is incomplete. He's hiding something from you. And what he's saying is, if you eat of the tree... You will have the knowledge of God because you'll become like God. And now you'll, then you'll know sufficiently what you should know. And so we see the danger right at the top of believing that the word that God has given us not being sufficient enough for us to live an obedient life. All right? It's the lie that the Satan has been preaching since the very beginning of time. If we believe that this Bible is not enough, we, we, we are in danger of standing at the base of that tree, that forbidden tree, right next to Adam and Eve and, and partaking of that same fruit. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. When God says it is enough, I believe that it is enough because he is a God who speaks sufficiently. And it leads us to number six, becoming equipped for every good work. Becoming equipped for every good work. So 
We are constantly reminded throughout Scripture that God's Word is sufficient enough to equip us to complete the work that God has assigned to us. All right, now this is a pretty famous passage. Does anybody know this passage? I'll read the Scripture. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Anybody know the passage? You got it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Absolutely. When you, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. That's your next blank. When you think of Scripture, there's four or five kind of key foundational passages in the scriptures that tell you what the Bible's all about. I preached those four or five texts the first couple of weeks of the year, and I've included them in our discussions, and this is a key one right here. There's so many things that we see here. First of all, all scripture is breathed out by God, so it's expiration as much as it's inspiration, all right? And it's profitable for what? All right, and I listed kind of a way that we can think of these things. It's profitable for teaching, which is how to think right, reproof, which is how not to think wrong, correction, which is how not to act wrong, and training in righteousness, which is how to act right. All right, I'll be honest with you, I did not invent that. Several pastors have used that over the years. So uh, as a pastor, I I think it was Adrian Rogers that said, uh, I milk a lot of cows, but I churn my own butter. So I milked somebody else's cow to get that one, but I I put it in my own words here towards the end. But uh, that's exactly what 2 Timothy chapter 3 teaches us, all right? We're equipped for everything that we need. You know, I I remember this. Uh, In fact, I was on the phone with him this afternoon. My mentor, and I pray that you'll have a chance to meet him. I know that you will because I'm going to call him to come and preach here for us one day. My mentor, uh, soon to be Dr. Steve Tillis, a pastor in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. He's the one that I, I studied under for, for three years at seminary. I was a pastoral intern, and I would bang down his door every single week. And I would lay in bed at night with a spiral notebook. I know Now that you know me, know me well enough, you could probably see me doing this. I had a spiral notebook on my nightstand, and I began to have questions about ministry, and I began to write them down. And some days I'd walk in his office with 15 questions. And he'd say, Bo, I got about 10 minutes. What can I do for you? I'm like, well, I got 15 questions. I'm going to start at the top. And I would just drill him over and over about all these situations in ministry and all these questions. And I remember the last time that we sat down for a meal, I had to take Dixie Odom's enclosed trailer back to Raleigh or to North Carolina because I hadn't, couldn't get all the furniture out there with the U-Haul. And I loaded up the trailer and I met with him for breakfast and we talked and prayed for about 20 minutes. And I said, I said, Steve, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. He said, Bo, you've been in school for seven years. You got to jump out of the boat eventually. I think you're ready. You're ready. And he said, just remember, the Word of God has equipped you. The Word of God and the Spirit of God is all you need to do the work of God. I remember that conversation as he's drinking coffee and I was eating scrambled eggs. And he's saying, you have all you need to do the work of the Lord. Now that doesn't mean, again, through the generosity of our finance committee, that doesn't mean I go out and don't buy other books. I've used about 20 different books in preparation for Sunday night study. It doesn't mean I don't learn from other people, but it means foundationally what I need to know about being a pastor and what I need to know to fulfill the calling that God has put on my life, I can find right here, right here. And that is a bit, that's a sign to me, and it's a conviction to me recently that I need to spend more time reading the book 
instead of reading other books about the book. We have finished up number six, and we are moving down to number seven. That's an eternal word is eternally relevant. Now, this is really important. All right, I, I've shared my ecumenical background with all of you, I would imagine. Most of you know my background. I was raised Catholic for 18 years in a very conservative, very traditional Roman Catholic church. Did not know the Lord. I became a believer in, in uh, 2006, and I began worshiping in a Lutheran church, in a very conservative missouri Synod Lutheran church. In fact, the first Lutheran church I was ever a member at in Statesboro. You drive on 67, that little, I pass it almost every week, St. Paul's Lutheran, right there on the corner. I bet that pastor has no idea that I'm in ministry because I used to drive him crazy with questions. There's a, there's a line of pastors that I completely drove nuts. In fact, I told somebody this the other day, I had to be a pastor because I drove every other pastor in my life crazy. All right, I could no longer sit in the front row without driving them crazy with questions. All right, so I went from being a Catholic to a Lutheran. And then I spent several years in an interdenominational contemporary church. For those of you that don't know, I was a member at Grace Community Church on Pulaski Highway. Mike Holt, uh, who most of you know, it, it spiritually was a big part of this community for many years at First Baptist. And then, of course, he launched the church at Grace Community. He, uh, he was a, a mentor of sorts for me. He baptized me. He, he and his wife Amy gave me my first opportunity to teach. I taught the third, fourth, and fifth graders in what's called Kids Jam. That's their version of children's church. And that was the first time I ever got to teach, several years ago. And God just kind of wet the palate for ministry after that because I loved it. Well, why do I say that? Well, I had a great experience there. And I would say that, uh, that, that Pastor Mike and, and, the, and, the, and the staff there, they're doing a wonderful job. And I would commend for those that are looking for a more contemporary church, I always recommend Grace if that's where you want to go. But I would say Grace is the minority when it comes to contemporary churches that are faithful to the Word of God. I know that Mike was because he and I would have conversations about it all the time in his office. But here's the danger of most contemporary churches today. Not all, but most. All right. So on the outside, you see all these changes that they're making to try to be more receptive to the next generation. So they remove the pews and they put in chairs. They remove the pulpit and put a lectern. They remove the the shirt and tie and they put on t-shirts and designer jeans and they offer... Uh, gourmet coffee in the lobby and they play contemporary music on the guitar there's nothing wrong with any of that hear me clearly we have gospel freedom the bible when it talks about worship does not tell us exactly how we should do it it tells us where our hearts should be as we're in worship so there's nothing wrong with those types of churches but if we're not careful many of those seeker friendly churches they not only change the medium they change the message they stop relying upon the Word of God because they say that it's not relevant enough to meet the needs of today's people. All right, And so what happens is, if you're a pastor in one of those contemporary churches and you don't believe that the Bible is relevant, what do you do? You try your very best to understand the needs of your congregation and you try to just preach to their needs. And so one week you may preach from the Bible, but the next week you may preach a sermon on time management, and you may never even mention a whole passage in Scripture, but you're just going to read all these business management plans or whatever the case may be. You may talk about being a good steward of your bodies and spend an hour talking about better exercise and diet. Are those things wrong? No, they're not wrong. They're just not the Word. They don't have the ability to change your soul. They don't have the spiritual power that this word has. And can I tell you, when you believe in the Bible as being relevant, it's such a relief as a pastor 
that I don't have to study every week all the different needs that are coming into the church. I can preach the Word and the Spirit and the Word together speak right to the heart of the person listening. And that's, that's the beauty of God's Word. You don't preach to felt needs. You preach the Word and the Spirit and the Word do the work. I can't tell you how many times I'll study a passage like t- this, this morning preaching on um, the anger of a prophet. And you're thinking, how does this meet the needs of those coming into the service? And then when people are hugging your neck afterwards, they're like, I needed that this morning. I've been going through something this very week and that spoke to me. Well, that's not me. That's the Spirit and the Word doing the work. God has just said, be faithful and preach it. Preach the Word. What what does Paul say to Timothy? Preach the Word. In season and out of season. Preach it. Preach the Word of God. Now, again, that does not mean that we are not open in the way that we do worship to change things from time to time. All right? We have what's called blended worship at this church. And and praise God because... That makes Jody's job more difficult than most music ministers because when he does the contemporary, some of the more traditional folks in our church don't really like it. And when he does the traditional hymns, some of the younger folks don't like it. And so you're never going to please everybody, right? So what do you do? You have some churches that do nothing but traditional. You have some churches that do nothing but contemporary. And then you have our church that does blended worship. And I'm going to tell you, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be a part of Cedar Street. I want to be a part of a church that does blended worship. And the reason why is, as long as we're doing blended worship, we are a multi-generational church. And that's the type of church that I want to be a part of because it's a church that represents all the generations of the kingdom. I want to look in the church and see folks that have been married for 50 and 60 years. And then I want to see a couple that got married six months ago. And how all that works together. That we're one great family. When you're in churches where there's only one age group represented you miss something. You do. You miss something. And I know that this church, the faithfulness of this church, has been attributed in large part to the older uh, portion of the congregation. Many of you represented here today have been faithful for many decades. But I believe this in my heart. I believe that we don't have to do fancy marketing. And we don't have to stand on our head to do tricks to try to attract young people to this church. Here's what I believe. If I'm on my knees and Jody's on his knees and we're praying and we are doing what God has called us to do, leading people into worship, and I'm being faithful to preach this word, you know what I believe? I believe this pew, these pews are eventually going to be filled. Believe it. I'm called to be faithful, and that's exactly what I'm going to do because it's the word that does the work. And this word equips us for every good work that God calls us to do. And it's also that blank there on, on, on number seven, if you missed it, that blank is the word relevant. Relevant. All right. Let me read the sentence here, a quote at the bottom, at the end of point seven. Again, Kevin DeYoung, I quoted him earlier. He says this, he says, we, when he talks about the Bible, he says, we do not need to add to it to meet today's challenges or subtract from it to mesh with today's ideals. I love that. It's real simple. You don't have to add to the Bible to try to attract people today. And you don't have to try to take away from the Bible so you don't offend anybody today. You simply got to preach it. Because it's as relevant today as it has ever been. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if He's the Word of God made flesh, we can believe the same thing about the Word of God written. It's the same yesterday, it's the same today, and it's the same forever. So that leads us to point eight, our final point here tonight. I love this quote. It's beautiful. 
All right, author Chris Wright gives us this illustration that help us. This can help us connect what we talked about last week with the clarity of Scripture. With this week, our topic being the sufficiency of Scripture. All right, and the uh, the last blank for you right there is like an ocean. Okay, that last word is ocean. Like an ocean, Wright argues that the Bible meets us where we are, and it is clear enough and sufficient enough for us to go swimming. Here's, what, here's how Wright summarizes this. He says, The Bible is like a great ocean. It has a sandy beach with shallows where even children can safely play. It has deeper parts where adults can swim. But it also has vast depths that we may never get to the bottom of. Isn't that amazing? The Bible's shallow enough that we can have children's church and we can teach a lesson that a five-year-old can understand. It's deep enough to meet adults, okay, to where you are in your life. It can meet you exactly where you are. If it's a struggle that you're having in your marriage or in your career or in your family, it can speak right to your mind or heart. But it's deep enough that you'll never master it. You have to be open to have the Bible master you. It's like an ocean. There's many a sailor that tried to conquer the ocean that found himself in the bottom of the ocean. You respect the ocean. And you live among the ocean, but you do not try to master the ocean, especially not during hurricane season. 